This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. And Taylor, once again, you were right. Last week when I promised stories from the farm in the next episode, I'm not going to be able to deliver because <laughs> while we were recording last week's episode, I it, it occurred to me... Uh, I wanted to tell the story of a, a series that I was reading where something that was so inconsistent just kind of came out of left field and knocked me out of the series. So I'll, Ooh, I want to hear about it. I'll start. I'll start with that, and then we'll we'll get back to the other two things, so the other two issues of character inconsistency. So I I'd been reading this series. It was kind of fun, and it was I liked the characters. Not something that I would ever recommend to someone, but it's like, eh, I'm at the end of the first book, I'll go to the second book. I'm at the end of the second book, I'll go to the third book. I got a third of the way through the third book, and the character did something or approved of something that was so far outside of what this character, or what I believe this character would ever do, that it just, like I read for like, 20 more minutes thinking, okay, he's going to come to his senses and say, this is crazy, this thing that's going on is crazy, and we're not going to do this. And he didn't. And <laughs> I stopped, and this was like three weeks ago, and I haven't been able to go back, and I think I'm just done. But I was curious enough to go look at the reviews for the third book, and I was not the only one that saw this. There were a lot of people that just shredded the book because of, they didn't call it character inconsistency. They pointed out exactly what it was that the character felt like was okay. Um, but it was a character inconsistency because it this. It violated previous, it violated everything they understood of who the character was. Yes, yes. And it was so out there. Um, and it was, it was just. I, I have not been able to get over it in weeks. I don't think I'll ever go back to the series. Um, and, I, you know, this is not a, this was not a specific thing where he, he just allowed something to happen that his character or the character that we were led to believe he was through two and a half books would never allow to, to happen. So, I mean, I have a question for you. And this might blur the line between Chit Chat Begins and where the and ends and where the rest of the podcast uh, begins. But this thing that he allowed to happen, did the plot depend on it? No, no, it was just a small, it was a subplot. And I, I will say that this, this author, this particular author gets carried away with subplots and doesn't realize they're subplots and thinks they're the plot. Okay. Um, but this was like, you know, the bad guys are coming after them. All these things are happening, and oh, by the way, this is happening, and this went on for like 20 pages, and, and then, you know, there was more bad guys, and then it was back to this again. So it, it, it's like it became the story instead of the bad guys, we're going to get the bad guys kind of thing. And okay. And it, it, 
no, it did not depend on it at so all. So if if that whole thing had been cut, if that subplot or the thing, the thing that made everybody angry had been cut out completely, the main story would have still continued on unhindered. Yes. Yes. I mean, I can I can think of well, I can think of five or six other ways of dealing with it that would have been just fine. And it 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 this this particular subplot added a new character to the series. Okay. And it's obviously someone who's going to be around for a while. And it it was just what they allowed this character to do uh, was so out there and so far outside of what, um, you know, this the older person who was the main character who was sort of in charge of this younger person would allow any other living, breathing human being to do. Um, that it was, it was just... It, it was repellent, as as you as you right. put in in the first book, or so in, in the first episode. I'm gonna about I'm gonna detour a okay. little bit the show. This is not really part of um, what my original notes were touching on, but it is very much a part of the subject of character consistency. And a lot of times, what will happen is authors are focused on the plot. Now, remember we talked about how. The story side of the process has three legs. You've got plot, character, and conflict. And if any one of those legs comes up short, then it begins to teeter, and sometimes it will fall completely. And sometimes what will happen is you'll get, as an author, you'll get focused on the plot, especially if you're writing um, a plot-oriented type story, like a thriller or something that really requires attention to timelines and, you know, procedurals, things like that, that really uh, require you to pay attention of how things happen and how they tie together. You get focused on the plot. And for the plot to work, um, it requires that a character, whether it's your main character or another character, does something. And oftentimes what will end up happening, and this is where you see it super cliched in like horror movies or whatever, the character will do something that's either very out of character or just out of human nature, like so far beyond that you're just like, it's stupid. Like in the middle of a dark night, a woman hears a noise out in the barn and just decides to go walking outside barefoot without a weapon or a light to go see what that noise is and she gets hacked to death, right? I mean, who of us in our right minds would even step outside, <laughs> much less without a light, without a weapon, or a barefoot, right? You follow me here? There's like this series of very stupid decisions that nobody in real life would make, much less would they have done it if it was a character that you'd already set up and established to be a certain way, right? So when when this happens in a story where you your character does something that feels out of character, that's when the plot is requiring it to happen. And a really skilled author, someone who's had a lot of experience on both the wordcraft and the storycraft side is able to take that thing that's out of character and seems implausible and twist it in such a way that it feels like the only thing that character could have done in that moment. 
They, they find a way to maintain character consistency. They find a way to justify the decisions. They find a way to make it feel completely organic to the, to the moment. And that is the magic of, of being the creator of this world is you have the power to alter everything and, and, and completely change things to make it how you want it to be. But to do it in such a way that it becomes invisible to the reader, where it no longer feels out of character, where it no longer feels um, like cliched or, yeah, right. Um, that requires an incredible amount of skill. Like, at this level, do I think that I could take that cliched scene where somebody hears a noise and steps outside barefoot, without a weapon, without a light to check out what that noise is and make it seem completely plausible and absolutely organic to the story, I absolutely could. But to do that requires seeing that scene as part of the whole, to knowing that that's a key part, a key moment on which this story is going to turn and knowing that that's going to be a weak part of this story that people are going to go, yeah, right. And I start setting that up from the first page. So that by the time we get there, it is consistent to character, it is consistent to everything, and the plot just works. Sometimes it takes a few drafts to get it right mm. of, of going back and reworking things, but that's craft, that's story craft. And when you don't yet have the skill to be able to see that you're falling into that pit, then you end up with a story that pisses readers off, it doesn't work. And your characters become inconsistent and repellent and unlikable and all of that. So um, as a little detour on the subject of character consistency, but uh, a really important point to to cover in the character consistency uh, universe, because that's something that you do see happen a lot is when plot drives character. And even if your plot is driving character, it should always come across as if your character is driving the plot. Last week, we were talking about um, character consistency and why character consistency is so important. And we were in the middle of a show and tell in which I was drawing off notes from an analysis that I had done for Steve for his story and some things that I felt were creating character inconsistencies in his main character. And the first one that we covered was the big one which was um, the character's uh, emotional responses to things. And the next one that I want to cover, which also has a universal bent to it, is uh, relationships, how characters relate to other characters. And in this particular instance, it's how the main character relates to women. But you can take this, you know, relating to women and apply it in multiple different directions just by swapping out ideas or words or whatever. So here's directly from the notes that I wrote to Steve, uh, Reggie's relationship with rela relationships. So a key part of what drives Reggie's choices in this story is his desire to grow up in terms of his relationships with women. But there's a running contradiction throughout where on the one hand, he focuses on Cassie and his desire for something deeper with her. And on the other, he has many, many thoughts and inklings about women that make the first idea seem more like lip service. Now, I understand that Reggie's a bit of a playboy and he likes women, and that is not an issue. 
and also that this part of Reggie's personality is intended to keep the tone light, which is also not an issue. The issue arises in that he claims to want more with Cassie. He claims to be really interested in her. And this supposedly drives, um, this is not in the notes, I'm just telling you as the, as the listeners, this drives um, some of the decisions that Reggie makes and in some ways blinds him to things that he probably should have been considering a lot earlier in the story, which is absolutely legitimate. It's one of those craft issues that I was talking about where you can take something that seems a little bit implausible and with a, a lot of um, focus on character and character traits and whatever, you can make it seem like that. Of course, that's the only way it could have happened. And that's what the actual setup here is. So the the, the idea that we're going for is great. The, the spoiler in it is the character inconsistency, which doesn't give it the follow through that he needs. So... Reggie claims to want more with Cassie, he claims to be really interested in her, but then in nearly everything he does in between his visits with her, it ideates the opposite. And so at that point in my analysis, I have this huge breakdown that lists out all the different examples of what Reggie does that contradicts this idea that he's really interested in Cassie as something more than just, you know, someone that he wants to sleep with or whatever. And I'm not going to get into all of those here because some of them are spoilers and some of them just, you don't need to know them all in order to, to get the point, right? So moving back into the, um, the analysis, when Reggie is in Cassie's presence or he is specifically thinking about her, he also tends to focus on her looks and not much else. Now, focusing on looks is fine. We are visual creatures after all. And we are physically attracted to a person first before anything else. But we run into problems when a character's attraction never moves beyond looks. And Reggie never goes deeper than that, doesn't go deeper than the surface. So adding that to when Reggie isn't in Cassie's company or directly thinking about her, he still behaves around other women in both thought and action as if Cassie didn't exist. Combining that all together, there's not much there to convince us that Reggie actually cares, cares about Cassie beyond his normal playboy tail-chasing self. So this creates a bit of character whiplash, and it makes it difficult to buy into the idea that Cassie means more to him than his prior relationships and makes his reaction when he discovers something later in the story feel inauthentic. That's character inconsistency. And this last one, it, it has to do with values. Um, but it's, it's a little vague the way that, because it's very, very specific to this story. So it might not have as much benefit to you as a listener as it otherwise would if you could see exactly what I was talking about. And who knows what the final version of this book is going to look like. So I'm going to read it just because I do think there is some value in it. But I don't think you're going to get as much value from it as you would have if you actually could see what it was that it's referring to. But anyway, so Reggie's focus on wealth. For a guy who makes it a point to not have to think about money and who just wants a carefree, low-stress lifestyle, he spends so much time focusing on money and commenting on other people's wealth. 
This is actually the one truly consistent thing about his character, which makes his personality feel less carefree and more like a guy who is constantly comparing status of houses and cars and careers and can't ever fully enjoy himself because he's always checking price tags. So there was more to that, but it just didn't really feel like it was beneficial to read here on the show. But the point is that Reggie's focus on wealth in the book is not actually part of who he is as a person. It just, there's a lot of money in the book. And so it would fall under the concept of a character's values. And because of that inconsistency, we don't actually know what, where Reggie's values in terms of money or his relationship with his wealthy family versus how he lives now where, where his values actually are, we don't know because there's a character inconsistency there. So in your own writing, it might not be wealth. It might be some other form of values. It could be a morality issue. It could be anything else. Um, but a character's values need to be consistent throughout. If the character's values uh, don't form a straight path where you can understand where they're coming from, then that's going to create this sense of not really knowing who the character is. And the thing is, all of us, we're really complicated. People, humans are complicated. And we also are conflict, we're conflicted. We, we, we do things that contradict our own um, apparent values. We say one thing and do another. We can sometimes be hypocritical. We can sometimes change how we believe about a certain thing based on who it is that's doing it. We make exceptions for people. So we, humans are not real super cut and dry in all this. We're very, very complicated and complex. And it's fine to have that same complexity in your characters on the page, but it's difficult for it to actually come across consistently unless you, the author, are aware of what it is they're doing and why, and are able to articulate the inherent contradiction. And the character has to be somewhat self-aware in it too for that to happen. So on the page, our fictional characters are a little more, how do you say this, pure in form than we are in real life. Because you're already dealing with messy plots and you're already dealing with all these other messy things. And to, to fully explore the messy nature of humankind in and of itself, your character, it takes more words, it takes more time, and, and it becomes more complicated in trying to keep it all clear and consistent. So as a general rule, we, we have a tendency to, to oversimplify characters. Uh, and, and sometimes that's how they turn into cliches and tropes because we don't have 600,000 words to fully get into all of the nuance and such. So it's not that having co complex characters on the page is wrong. It's only that if you don't have the follow through in, in seeing that complexity through to a, a straightness of its own, to a consistency of its own, it's just going to be a mess. So whatever path you choose, you have to be, you, the author, have to be consistent about it. So in, in the analysis itself, there's a long potential fix that I wrote out um, for Steve in, in how to fix these issues. But they kind of, they, they veer off into the subject of theme as it relates to this particular story, 
based on the particulars in this story. And although that would make a really great addition for another podcast, it's not the right one for here and now. So I'm not going to go into that. And I want to focus more deeply on the subject of character consistency itself and how to avoid and or fix that in general. So how do we avoid character inconsistencies, the ones that tend to repel rather than attract us to the characters? And again, I'm not talking about just likable characters. There, if you're going to write an unlikable character or a bad guy, there still has to be something about that character that fascinates us or repulses us enough to keep us engaged without going, oh, no, this makes me super uncomfortable. I don't want to be around it, right? Even if you're writing horror, even if you're writing a psychological twisty thing that is not up most people's, is just too far for, for the average reader, you still have to be consistent to what to human being, to how humans are. If you're writing um, a psychopath, great, but you gotta be consistent in that. So consistency matters straight across the board. So how do we how do we stay with that, right? And so at the core of building out consistent characters is it's understanding who your characters are. But that's really incredibly oversimplified because if you were to sit down with Steve right now and you were to ask him about who his character is and what makes his character tick, Steve could regale you with fun and fascinating details. He knows who his character is. I've heard him. I've heard him tell me who his character is, and and he knows this character. So why, then, do we end up with the inconsistencies on the page? So in Steve's case, part of it's due to multiple drafts in which the story changed around the character. Some of it's because um, there's inner dialogue that could have given meaning or change the meaning of certain behavior so that it maintained consistency that just doesn't show up. So there's lots of different reasons, right? And it's going to be, those reasons are going to be specific to you as the author, your writing style, your strengths and weaknesses as an author. It's going to be specific to your story, to your characters. It, It could go in a thousand different directions. But at its core, always, it comes back to understanding who your character is. And when I talk about understanding who your character is, I mean truly, truly understanding on a deep, fundamental level who they are as a human being. So that no matter where the plot requires the story to go or what the plot requires the character to do, the character's inner world remains consistent. And from there, the thoughts, the actions, the decisions, the dialogue, it all feels authentic and organic, no matter what direction the story goes. And remember, we were talking about, uh, you know, that example of the cliche of, you know, woman hears a noise in the barn and goes out in the dark, barefoot, no weapon, no light, whatever, you know, could, could you make that authentic to that character? Could it be consistent? Yeah. But part of that is truly understanding who your character is. I mean, deep, deep, deep down and setting that up from the beginning, right? If you really, if you, if you know the plot is going to require the character to do something that that character would not under any circumstances do, then you have two options, change the plot or change your character. You cannot make a character do something the plot requires them to do if it's so out of character, so inconsistent with their character that it, it would never happen. So in the case of the most implausible of implausible scenes, in order to make that happen, according to the plot, I would change the character. That's where the craft comes in, is changing that character just enough to make it work. So to do that, to understand your character and to understand them fully, deeply, 
it it's a whole different thing than understanding like where they came from, who their family is, what their backstory is, what events got them to where they are in life. That's all surface stuff. I mean, you need to know that stuff, but really understanding your character means understanding their deepest, often unexpressed fears and understanding where those fears came from. It means understanding their deepest and often unexpressed longings and desires and understanding where those longings and desires came from. It means understanding their core values, how they feel about money, religion, politics, family, children, society. It means understanding their moral compass. What drives your character in terms is what, what gives your character their, their moral reasoning to justify the things that they do? Because you know we all do that as human beings. Whether we, none of us, I mean, maybe a few of us are honest enough with each other to, to go, yeah, I'm just genuinely a, a shitty person. But most of us are convinced that we are good. Our intentions are good. Our reasoning is sound. Our morality is upright. Uh, the reasons that we're willing to excuse, all our contradictions, right? The reasons we're willing to excuse some people for doing something that we hate in somebody else, it all makes sense to us because we're good. We're inherently good on the inside. Even our moral failings, we're able to acknowledge like, yeah, that's a weakness, but I'm still a good person, right? There are very, very few of us who are going to go, yeah, I'm just a dick all the way around. Yeah, I suck. Even people who are jerks still think they're good people. So that is morality. There is an inner morality that we derive of our own, that, that makes us think that we are good. And some for some people, it's driven by religious beliefs, other people by humanism, other people by a set of right and wrong rules that they've developed for themselves. We all have that inner moral compass, whatever it points to, that's beside the point. What is your character's inner moral compass? What drives them to justify what they do as being right or wrong? Who are your character's friends? What does friendship mean to them? You need to understand their enemies. Uh, what does it take for your character to make an enemy? What does your character love most? What do they hate most? What do they admire most? What do they despise most? What do they want out of life? What's their end goal? What, how do they see themselves when they're 80 years old? And more important than all of that even is how does what's happening to them right now connect the decisions that they're making right now in this story, how does that connect or relate or intersect to who they are at their core as a person? So when you understand all of this, you're essentially building yourself a map to who your characters are. And this map is what guides you in the same way that that deep inner world would be guiding their, your character if your character was a real person. And like, if you're writing your character as a version of you, maybe it's pretty simple. But, and, and you know, there's always a small piece of us as authors in every character we write. I mean, to be able to conjure up even the, the worst of people, some part of us has ended up in there, if nothing else than our imagination or our fears or whatever. But for the most part, we are not creating paper images of ourselves or paper images of, of people that we know, we are drawing these characters out of 
whole cl- uh, out of out of nothing, out of out of just smoke and mirrors, and we're creating them from nothing. So to to make those characters real, you've got to have their center that guides you, and that's what that map does. And when you have this this deep understanding of who your character is and what drives them and and where they are, who they are at their very, very core, that then is what creates consistency of character. That's what makes your character real because that consistency, that that core sense of self, it's going to show up on the page in these just seemingly inconsequential ways. It's going to show up in word choices and habits and actions and hesitations. And the, the big one is it shows up in the nuance and the subtle conflicts that arise when one character interacts or intersects with another character who might have conflicting morality or same morality that's sending them in opposite directions. It's when you get partners that don't get along. It's when you get people who are chasing after the same goal, um, trying to sabotage themselves. It's more than just a race for the thing. There's a personality conflict. It becomes a moral clash of I'm bad and you're bad and I'm good or whatever. All of that. That, that realism, that sense that then draws readers in and makes us like feel like invested comes from understanding that character's inner world and building this consistent uh, character so that it, the, the, the character feels real. A character feels like you could reach the page and touch them because they are so alive. And all of that comes from understanding and but on a deep deep level um when we were talking about this before we started recording steve had asked me about this idea of character math and he's like well do you mean actually building out a a character like an actual physical character map and i was like you know that's a really really good question like me personally i don't do it i don't need to do it because i don't i uh, that's how i think anyway like my thoughts are so every all directions at once that these things these these aspects of personality show up as i'm thinking about my character but if you're somebody who doesn't think like that and for whom really understanding the person means laying it out in a almost a linear visual way then yeah you you can build out a physical character map sort of a a, a visual of it by you know i don't know if you've ever seen those maps where you start with a circle in the middle and you hub and spoke it out and all the different things are connected or it's a thought it's a way to 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 visualize thought right and i've never done it but i've seen it done and that that might be really helpful for you if you're struggling to maintain character consistency if you feel your characters are falling flat and aren't coming across on the page as deeply or as nuanced as you would like it's the same root cause so all of it comes back to really, truly understanding your characters on a deep core, core level. And when you do that, even if the plot is determining what happens, it's still going to come across as if your characters are driving the plot. And that will give your readers something that they're going to really just latch onto and not want to go away from. That was really great. I, uh, I, I love that. And, um, you know, the whole... The whole character consistency thing, that's what binds us to characters um, over, over a, a lengthy series. I do have a question for you. 
Um, yeah. with, and I've, I've asked you this before, and I can't remember what the answer is. Um, but when Monroe was first uh, brought into the world, she, in her mind, went through Bible verses fairly yeah. constantly as, as a way of reacting to things, as, as sort of a reaction or like a, a flash of insight mm -hmm. or... I don't know, anger or as anxiety calming like mantras and and bringing her back to taking to her to another mental place. Yeah, so that was a big part of book 1, a smaller part I think of book 2 and then it just sort of went away. And yeah. I know it was explained um, it seemed like it was explained why she's not doing it anymore, but I don't remember why. And I'm curious how you finessed a change like that because that's a pretty big change. I didn't really finesse it. <laughs> I didn't know enough about it, about how to do something like that back then. But um, it the change mainly came about because of reader complaints. A lot of readers found the interspersed thoughts distracting. Um, in the original story, in The Informationist, they were there to show the heightening anxiety and um, and also to connect back to Monroe's past in Monroe's childhood. She found she she had a very inattentive father, who was uh, more focused on um, bringing the word of God to his churches that he'd established in Cameroon than he was in a daughter that he never expected to have. And so she had discovered that if she memorized and recited scriptures, that she got attention from him. But he, he that that was a thing for him, like she could get praise and whatever. So she did it as a way to earn praise from her father originally. And so that's where it connects to her um, to her anxiety to to she relates it to, um, you know, good things in the sense that good things and bad things like it's it's conflicted for her. And it's just something she's got all of these scriptures running through her head. And when she's having anxiety, they just come back at times or they remind her of things and she just, you know, kind of, they go running through the back of her head. Um, but a lot of readers just couldn't connect with that. And so, um, I, I just felt like, well, if it's not working, then let's just minimize it. They do show up again in the doll minimally okay. and they may or may not show up elsewhere. I don't remember, but it's just not as often or as much um, and it really only had to do with reader response. And, you know, if I, if I knew more about writing at the time, if I understood storytelling, if I understood how to establish story consistency, I mean, character consistency better, um, I, I probably could have integrated those in a way that readers didn't find distracting, but I didn't know enough back then how to do it. And so the easiest way to eliminate the distraction was to eliminate the scriptures. And interestingly enough, because I actually did think about it when I, I noticed them going away, I thought, oh, this is showing her growth, that she doesn't need to rely on this anymore. And yeah, sure. That totally, yeah, yeah that was yeah. really my opinion. <laughs> yeah, totally, absolutely, yes. 100%. <laughs> so it, it's a little bit like the whole thing where you don't describe your characters in that much detail. You let the, you, you let the readers fill it in. So I, I filled in the reason that, that she stopped doing that. Perfect. That's exactly what should have happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Taylor, thanks for an insightful two-episode series. We will be back in your ear, hopefully with Farm Stories, next week. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> See you guys next week. Thanks for being here.